Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Danny. Pete is tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has done three three. 22 to Raja. Saw the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. Tuesday morning after a Monday Night Football game that was closer than I think people thought. Man. Break that down a little bit. We have a huge decision to make, though. Yeah, talk to me. Are you aware of what's going on? Wednesday? Tomorrow? No. You have no, kids? You know I'm not. Oh, Halloween. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, Halloween. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. therefore, what are we going to be? You know there's a what company. Do you mean, what are we going to be? <laughs> there is a company contest here at CBS Sports HQ for the best dressed. Did they say, I didn't the get the memo. Costume. I got no memo. Well, I about, got it. All right. so we have to be something. And yeah. I think we have to do like a duo. <laughs> we, we have to be like a dynamic yes, duo. I think okay. So. All right. I think so. You know what do you, the, what, what you got? You know the meme that's I'm out there. I'm not very creative. There's I'm like not. the Spider-Man dudes and they're going like this. You, I think we should do that. I'm, I'm voting that down now. <laughs> no. Nope. Next. That. Next. I'm big into Halloween. What costumes. else? What else you got? No, I think we should do that. Iconic duos. You got to think of something like, Biggest yeah. duos of all time. Yeah, we should be like the dudes from Trading Places. We should be like, oh, uh, that could be pretty be good. good, right? Like yeah. Eddie Murphy, you'd be Dan Aykroyd. That'd be um, good. Or like Lethal Weapon, like Danny Gunn. Yes, correct. Gibson. Mel Gibson. Yeah, we that need a wig. We need a mullet. <laughs> yes. Need a little makeup. That would be too good. And then you could say, I'm too old for this. Yeah. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, have, we'll have to do that. All right. We're going to, we're going to surprise some people tomorrow. All right. Are you in? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I knew I was going to get it. All right, so the Patriots continue their dominance over the Bills. Their win streak reaches five. Remember, it wasn't that long ago. We were talking about, oh, my goodness, are they in trouble? Yep. Nope, it's what they do. They always start slow. They always figure things out. They're trying to catch up with the Rams at eight games, 8-0, eight oh, obviously undefeated. The Saints continue their streak against my boy Kirk Cousins the other night. And look at the Texans in this group. Yeah. What a surprise of that one. Five straight wins after starting 0-3. They're very much in the mix of a division which is completely up in the air. But last night's game, I thought it was ugly. It wasn't pretty. But it's what the Patriots do, and that's what good teams do. They figure out a way to win, even if it's ugly, even if it's not pretty. They just And that was a tough environment. I know people are going to laugh and say, well, it was a 14-point spread. They're supposed to do that. But we saw Thurman Thomas's number getting retired. Sure. Buffalo's a crazy place to play. They're going to be loud. The weather was ugly, and it was windy. Yep. That I think had an effect on the offensive game plan for the Bill, uh, for the Patriots, obviously the Bills too. But that's what good teams do. They figure out a way to win. Yeah, and you know we were on yesterday when we talked about the Saints, and I kind of feel the same way about New England. When I start to feel like you're ready to be in the conversation, like and New England's always in the conversation, but I mean like really be in the conversation for a team um, that could potentially win it. It's when it's when you're winning games like this, mm-hmm. right? And the Saints kind of did the same thing like this this weekend where they didn't play great. This was pedestrian at best for Tom Brady um, and the offense. The defense stood up, did their job, and you find ways to gut out wins. Uh, when you don't have your best stuff, like I think that's championship medal in teams in, in whatever sport. When you can find ways to grind it out, win when you're not on your A game, um, it beat teams whether they're good, bad. You have to do your job, and that's what the that's what the Patriots did. Like. I'm a little bit concerned about the Patriots because in today's NFL, you've got to you have to score a lot. Right, you have to have high powered offense if you want to go toe to toe with the Chiefs, who have a you know historically great offense. When you look at the numbers they're putting up, Patrick Mahomes is going to break some records at the end of the season. Um, when you look around at what the Rams are doing in the NFC, what the Saints are doing with Drew Brees, if you want to be considered one of these top teams, which I put the Patriots in that category, I'm a little bit concerned when they're running out. I don't know if it's Coca. How do you say Cordero? Cordero or Cordero? Or Cordero. It's Cordero. Cordero Patterson. Cordero. When he's, when their wide receiver is in the backfield and he's taking the ball as, you know, taking handoffs as a running back, I'm like, 
I this is you know, and I, I hear people saying, "Oh, this is Bill Belichick's little, genius." A little too gimmicky for you. I a little think too so. Much. Yeah, like, and he looked uncomfortable running the football, like taking handoffs because he's a wide receiver. Two positions, right? And I get you know, Julian Edelman uh, went over a hundred yards. Gronk had his typical game where he had um, you know uh, forty three yards, three uh, three receptions. But you have to get more production from a deeper group of guys because they didn't even play that many wide receivers last night. And Josh Gordon. I get he has all this potential, and there was the rumored stuff, which it was kind of a debacle before the game. It was reported by NFL Network that he had missed. He was late for a bunch of meetings this week, and right. said he was going to be, quote, suspended for a couple series. And then he ends up starting, and afterwards Bill Belichick basically says, well, go ask the guy who wrote the story, which is it's kind of a mess. Like, who knows what's really going on? But they haven't been getting as much from Josh Gordon as I thought they could. And that's – he just got there. Like, I'm still waiting for him, but – like I said, if they want to go toe-to-toe with these high-scoring teams, they've got to give me more on the offensive side of the ball than they've been getting so far. Yeah, I th- you know, the Josh Gordon thing was interesting because it looked like, you know, early, for the first three games, I guess, it, it kind of felt like it was trending maybe. They were trying to incorporate him a little more. And I know that typically, like, Belichick and Tom Brady have this, you know, uh, next-man-up mentality. Like, we can plug and play, and this is going to work because Tom is this great. And while Tom is still really good – I, I don't know that Tom is the Tom of four years ago. Do you know what I mean? I think that's natural. Like you, you start to have a little bit of a decline as you get older. I do feel like you have to force that issue with Josh Gordon a little bit. Yeah. Provide, provided he's doing his job and, and reports came out that he wasn't at meetings, but if he's being a good soldier and he's, you know, trying to do it the right way in New England, he is the guy who can take the top off of a defense for you. He's the guy, like Gronk, Gronk is still really, really good. But I've told you before, I like Travis Kelsey. There are other guys that I think are, are better, like pure, like, tight ends in terms of catching and and game-breaking type of players. But the one guy you have over there that can really do that at a really high level is Josh Gordon. And I think if you want to be that upper echelon team that can win something, you have to force the issue of chemistry between him and Tom. And Tom has to know that there could be a Randy Moss-ish connection there. Not Randy Moss, but ish. You understand what I'm saying? Sure. So, But I think the thing that's refreshing – and this is good news for the Patriots because they've all they've, they've their defense is actually getting a lot more production out of their defense. It seems kind of weird, but they have been carried by their offense yeah. through a lot of their Super Bowl runs. And you had the pick six from Devin McCourty off Derek Anderson, which was hilarious. That Derek Anderson he made the business decision <laughs> to go out there, and I don't know what I don't like. You got to sell it a little bit. Like you didn't even sell it. Like he went running the wrong way and he looked thought, inside, he thought he like, was cutting back. What was man? he looking for? He I don't. Know. <laughs> he was trying to anticipate that. That was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Derek Anderson trying to like run down the pick six. Just dive. I, that's the safest thing. Just dive. You dive at him. Yeah. Do you? Just dive at the you, legs. It, all right. Let me yeah, ask you a question. Dive at the legs. Do you get? Do you get like killed in the locker room if you don't dive at him? I think Derek Anderson will. Derek Anderson, like, yeah, he. Will. But nobody's expecting, no expecting Aaron Aaron Rodgers to run over there and dive at somebody, right? Like he's no, got but the he catch. Would dive. I don't like Carson Wentz had an awesome tackle the other day. He threw an interception in London and came up and drilled the dude. That's how you gain a lot more respect. I get it though. You're the twenty twenty five million dollar guy. You're the face yeah. of the franchise. You don't want to put your body on the line like Carson Wentz did. But you gotta at least make an, make effort. an effort. You I gotta at least make fake it look good for me. You have to at least fake it in that situation, which they obviously didn't. But their defense, Kyle Van Noy had uh, two sacks last night. This is what the Patriots do too. They find somebody off the trash heap because he had one sack in his tenure with Detroit, who drafted uh-huh. him. He's already, he had five sacks last year, had two last night. That's more than he had his entire tenure with the Lions. So they're getting contributions from you know a lot more uh, of the defense than than they have before, which is a good thing. So I want to switch it over to the NBA because I was watching the, the NFL game, uh, the Patriots uh, uh, Bills game, 
And I, I keep seeing Clay Thompson's name being brought up. I'm like, oh, okay, he's got four threes. He's got five threes. And they keep going up the point total. Yeah. Um, he goes off 14 three-pointers, breaks Steph Curry's record in the game. The only thing I'm a little bit upset about why not let him go for like seventy-five points? Like why? Because <laughs> he had fifty-two. Look, I know, but like, let him go step. for a record. You're this team that's an all-time great. You're this super team. Why not just keep? I'm surprised they didn't actually because yeah. they like doing that. That action is really good. Chicago plays no defense. No, <laughs> they don't play any at His all. Trigger is so quick. Like, let me see. It comes down. <laughs> yeah, and that's ridiculous. Look, that. I'm not going to be this guy, I promise. I'm not going to turn into the old curmudgeon that just kills today's NBA. I mean, that's beautiful uh, ball movement. You know, guys giving up a good shot to get a great shot, and they feel like Clay's hot, so you want to find the ball. You want to get him the ball. But um, generally speaking, the defense, I mean, you're not nearly close enough to a guy who's got 11 threes probably at this point, and you're just letting him come down. He's got blood yeah, flowing what? out of his forehead. <laughs> Look, again, one screen, Zach Levine lays on the screen, and it's a wide-open three. That is not... That is not NBA defense as I knew it one one time. You know what I mean? Like uh, some time ago. This is this is a whole different entity. I don't know how I could exist in in, in this kind of game. I'd be uh, super this, frustrated the, with my teammates. But this is the new NBA, though. They had 92 points at halftime. Uh, I, they it, finished with 149. And I get they're a great team, but to me, it does look like nobody cares about defense in the NBA. Because I think I think you tell me if I'm wrong. I think defense is somewhat scheme, but I think it's most about effort. And I think guys do not care anymore about defense. It starts with. I do agree with you. It's starts with effort right it starts with a buy-in that we want to do this and then schemes become important once you've got everybody invested in playing because now i got to figure out how i play pick and roll or situationally what i'm going to do um i've always said this like as it pertained to like the Cavs and the lebron like lakers and stuff when you've got guys that are as good as as him and you put them with other really good players like Kyrie and Kevin Love, for example, when I was in Cleveland, there's a natural fascination with trying to make things work offensively because all of them are so gifted offensively. So you spend so much time in training camp trying to figure out what can we run to get all these guys shots? How is the chemistry? Naturally, you forget about the defense. And it was one of my gripes in, in Cleveland. Like, guys, look, we spent so much time on offense that we've neglected the defensive side of the ball. And that's what's going to be able to carry us when this offense, because it will like falls out of sync and out of rhythm because that's going to happen. We need to hang our hat on defense. So in those circumstances, I understand why you wouldn't spend so much time on defense. Mm -hmm. I don't love it, but I get it. you got all these great offensive weapons. On regular teams like the Bulls, no disrespect to Zach Levine and, and all the guys that play for the Bulls, they're good players. None of them are max NBA superstars. Hang your hat on defense. Like the offense, you can be a good offensive player, but you're not winning games because you're better than LeBron James offensively. Right. right. You want to come out and scrap and claw and be the thorn in somebody's side and 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 squeak wins out like that. You're not going to outscore these juggernauts of teams with with all these stars on them. I think it's so stupid. The stat that we put up on the screen, I think, was stunning as far as how far we've come with the three point shot. Because last night, Clay Thompson made more three pointers than Michael Jordan. In 1986, his entire season, <laughs> then Magic Johnson, his 85-86 season, and Larry Bird. Larry that's the one Bird? that surprised me. In the 81-82 season, Larry Bird was 11 for 52 from the three-point. The entire season. That's incredible. That is unbelievable, and it shows you how far we've come in the three-point shot. That's insane. It, it, that is insane. Um, and I don't mind the three-point shot. Like, I, right. I get it. Like, analytically speaking, and the guys are able to stretch their range. If you can knock it down at a proficient enough rate, I support it 100%. You can still play defense. Yeah. You know what I mean, Danny? Yeah. Like you can still get up 
Guys always ask me, like David Griffin, for example, because David David Griffin didn't play, um, but he's a fantastic general manager and a, and, a, and a brilliant basketball mind. But I would try to articulate to them, their eye would say that we're playing good defense. And I would have to sit in there and be like, guys, like Kobe Altman, for example, this isn't good defense. Like if I'm this far away from you at an arm's length, right? like that's that's defense, but it's not good defense. Danny doesn't feel uncomfortable. Right. Good defense is when I get right. All up in your grill. All up in your grill. Like, right. I'm half an arm's length away. Like, you can feel my breath on your cheek. That is now making you uncomfortable, and now you have to start thinking about what you want to do instead of just doing what you do. And no one – no, I'm watching these games, and the amount of space that everyone is giving each other, it's unprecedented. I've never seen it. That's like uh, the line from Hoosiers. Tell me what kind of gummies you want. No, I, correct. That's what Absolutely. you have to do. I have a prediction to make right here on Off the Bench. Yeah. Steph Curry – Whose previous record of 13 yeah. is going to break 14. Oh, wow. Which I think, cause I think this is the type of stuff and this is what I would love if I'm Steve Kerr. If no one can compete with you, then compete with each other That's with true. your own team. And I think Steph will break the record sometime this season. This I season? think they'll have fun with it. I think they'll let him. I think they'll, they'll pick a game and they'll be like, all right, let's get Steph the ball. Let's see if he can break yeah. the place record. No, if That's he, good. If he comes out and he knocks down four quick threes, yep. I think you'll see his teammates and they've try done to get it, it throughout this run. Like when Clay has incredible quarters, when he had 37 and a quarter, they do that type of stuff. I think they'll do it. I read that Steph uh, saw the stat sheet at halftime and looked at Clay and told him, go get it. Really? Like, yeah. yeah so I think they'll start to. They have that. that kind of culture, which, which speaks to like what Steve Kerr and Bob Myers and, and quite frankly, all of those guys in the Golden State locker room as teammates, the kind of environment that they fostered there, like that, that's pretty cool. When you guys, when you have guys that are secure enough in themselves and, and what you're doing as a franchise that you ain't hating on each other in situations like that. Right. I mean, that's a winning culture. And you got to find some way to, you know, get them motivated. Yeah, for sure. Their interest level up. All right. There are uh, great times in Golden State, not so great in L.A. with LeBron and the Lakers. And we have a new head coach with Cleveland Browns. Yeah. Break that down next and off the bench. All right. So we saw Clay Thompson go off. We saw the Warriors drop 92 at half. Yep. That's the best. Let's go down a little bit where it's not so good, and that's the Lakers because they've been struggling a little bit this season to start off. I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. LeBron's taking over. They're trying to find chemistry with this cast of characters he has. But they fall to 2-5. and five. They lose to the Timberwolves last night, 124-120. to 120. LeBron had 29-10-7. and seven. Um, Afterwards, they asked him about his patience level, mm-hmm. and his quote was, you probably don't want to be around me when my patience runs out. I don't know, like, what's your take on this team early this season? Cause I don't, I don't like giving the hot takes, like, oh, they're gonna miss the playoffs. But yeah. Realistically, when you look at this team, are you, th- do you think LeBron should be frustrated? Do you think his patience is running out? Uh, no, well, I hope it's not running out cause you pick, you pick the situation, right? Yeah. So you should, yeah. You, and you knew you weren't gonna have any clear number two this year. Uh, I think they're gonna be marginally worse than I thought they'd be. I, I think I gave them a little bit too much credit. I, I didn't know. I thought that they could potentially win a first-round series. I still kind of feel that way, but their ceiling's lower than I had initially thought. Um, they don't play a lot of defense. Um, I mean, they're, look at that. That's a contest by JaVale McGee. It, it wasn't a close contest. He just got his hand up making it look good. You're not closing out with a sense of urgency like I just talked about before. And sometimes you can oversimplify things. You can't let good NBA offensive players have the space that they want or shoot the shot that they want or they're going to kill you. And I watch Laker games, and guys are getting to their spots against them. They're getting the desired look against them, and they're making a high percentage. And when they don't, and here's where the problem comes in, when they don't make them, 
They're pummeling the Lakers on the offensive glass. Yeah. The, the Lakers are giving up way too many offensive rebounds. You saw Jimmy Butler last night at times coming through there against JaVale McGee and Brandon Ingram, who are both over 6'10", tipping it in. Jimmy Butler's 6'6". He's just willing his way to an offensive rebound and a tip-in. Uh, those are fundamental issues with the Lakers. They've got a lot of young talent. They got guys that could score the ball. That's clear. They've got LeBron could be one of the, you know, still one of the best playmakers in the game. If you're going to allow other teams to get to their spots, shoot the shots they want to shot, and when they miss, tip it back in, it's going to be hard to win games. I, I think you look at this team because I know Magic came out and said we want to make the playoffs. Like that's a successful season. LeBron wants to make the playoffs. In the bigger scheme of things, like if this is a longer term plan, like not this year to win, but next year, does it even matter? Yeah. You think I mean, so? Yeah, it does. I mean, everybody wants to play. This you want to win games. It's be miserable. Well, see, that's what I'm worried about. I've, I said this, you know, going into the season. I think they could be good, but mm-hmm. if it gets bad, I think it could get really bad. I think LeBron, like the patient stuff, and I think you could see some infighting in that locker room. I don't know. I just feel like because of the microscope that's going to be on this team, and if they're out of the playoff hunt, mm-hmm. then I think it could get ugly, and I think it could get bad. Well, I'll tell you like this. Um, I think LeBron had wrapped his mind around the fact that this was a year two play. Right. Right. And but, but, which sounds good when you're planning it out, but when of you're course, in the thick of there's it, there's an ego involved, right? Sucks. Like you, yeah. you don't want to roll out there and be loose. I'm LeBron James, like right. I, you know. So I get that. Um, I thought that you'd get the best version of all of these one year players, Rondo's, Beasley's, um, Javale yeah. McGee's been awesome. Lance has been really good too. So is Rondo. But winning helps that in a losing environment. When LeBron can be at his most demanding and most hard to work with, and for good, like good reasons, good players are like that. They demand excellence, right? Mm-hmm. You could see some of those guys maybe like off the reservation. Do you know what I mean? That's when yes. you're going to get the worst personality traits out of people when that right. losing starts to creep in, and that then could be a combustible situation. So, but I don't think that look, it's been ugly. They've not been what I thought they could be. They're in some games. I, I think they'll be all right. right. I, I think the ceiling's lower than I initially thought, but I think at the end of the day, they'll be all right. I think so, too. I think they'll be fine. But I do think also at what time does LeBron make a business decision and start looking at all this wear and tear on his tires? Yeah. And maybe at the end of the season, if they are, like, start saying, hey, I'm going to take a couple nights off. I'm going to start looking forward to the future a little right. bit, which would not play well in the national media and more, more so in LA when you had a guy like Kobe who was out there putting his body on the line every night. It's a tough one because he's got a track record like he does that. Right. You know, like That's what I'm saying. I don't know that in his contract when he sat down with Magic, Magic said, "Hey, when you come to LA, we're not going to rest you no more." Like I, <laughs> right. I I think that Magic would have had to say, "Hey, listen, we understand the maintenance on your body like you, you played 16 seasons. We're going to we're going to stay in lockstep with your your trainers and try to make sure that you get the rest." So I think you'll see him win or lose kind of follow some kind of strategic plan to maintain um, his body and his shape. But, uh, you know, look, Le- LeBron's got a lot of weight on his shoulders out there in L.A. Yeah. And they're not they're not very patient. It's like a New York market in terms totally. of they want you to win now. Um, and that Kobe shadow is looming large. The magic shadow is. Yeah. Large. All those greats out there, Shaq, you look at all of them, and they all kind of loom large, and you're supposed to live up to that expectation It'll be interesting to see how LeBron handles it, and I think uh, it's. Gonna, I think they'll be fine. Yeah, he's always started slow. They have to develop chemistry, but we'll have to see. You know where it's not starting fine in Cleveland yeah. uh, for Baker Mayfield because mm. we talked about Hugh Jackson getting canned yesterday. Everybody was watching. Who are they going to name coach? I think most people assumed it was going to be Todd Haley, the offensive coordinator. But you know what the Browns did? They did what I do with my kids. 
So if your kids are playing with both a toy, of you. yeah, both of you. and they can't argue over which one gets it, then you take the toy away yeah, or pop them. They just smack <laughs> them both. Get, get, get out of here. Exactly. <laughs> That's what the Browns did. They're like, you guys can't play nice. Then get out of here. You guys are both kicked out of the playground. And I think it was probably the smart thing to do. Yeah. The only thing I look at this and they named defense coordinator Greg Williams. He was the other head coach on the, on the uh, coaching staff. They put him in charge. The only thing I look at this, I'm like, why did you? Why did you decide? Because clearly they said, all right, we're going to go all in with our quarterback of the future, take him number one overall with Baker Mayfield. Correct. Why did you go into this situation with Hugh Jackson, who had been one of the worst coaches over the last two years? Why not just start fresh with your quarterback? I don't understand why you could have thought this was a good situation. I get being loyal. I get, you know, it was only two years. But at some point, like this is going to be detrimental to Baker Mayfield's career. It's a setback for him. Absolutely. Now you're going to change staffs next season, and you're going to have to start him over in a new system. And I get that's what Jared Goff and Sean McVay did, and that's what Matt Nagy and, and Mitch Trubisky are doing in Chicago, and it's kind of the trendy thing to do is to bring in a coach who can work with your quarterback. Why not start that way? <laughs> I agree with you 100%. Um, this kid will have had four head coaches. In, in roughly a year and a half, right? He'd have to have his college head coach. Yeah. He'd have Hugh Jackson. He'll have Greg Williams. And then there'll be another head coach coming in to run the show next year. You don't want to start any young player off, um, with that kind of instability. And I don't care what David Sampson says when he sits here on the show. Like, you know, athletes, come on, man. You want to create a stable, um, a situation for them. It's like a family, man. Like they, they're, you know, analytically speaking, the data shows the kids with stable home lives, right? Like they yes. have better opportunities. Like you want stability for your young player. I think it's really interesting because it's the same thing with the Browns. I mean, at, with the with the with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Like when we talked about Kobe Altman yesterday, you knew that this guy was three thirty six and one coming into the season. Like he, the track record is out on Hugh Jackson to some degree. Like why not start fresh? With the new young he quarterback, was one in thirty-one coming into the season, he got two of those. Well, yeah, this year. correct. No, like so, it was like worse. even worse, right? <laughs> and, and so it's the same thing I was asking about the Cavs. Like, why does this have to happen in Cleveland? And I always try to stand up for Cleveland, but like Cleveland, you drop the you guys dropped the ball on these last two. These, these moves should have been made in the offseason. You should have come into this season with a plan. Should have stuck to that plan all year. Created some stability with both of you young rosters and then move forward uh with that. No need uh for this to be happening right now, you know, halfway through a football season or what what have you or in early in a basketball season. It's it's ridiculous. They go with Freddie Kitchens. He's going to be the new offensive coordinator calling the plays. He was the running back coach. Uh he coached quarterbacks in Arizona from 2013 to 2016 where he helped Carson Palmer resurrect his career there. I do think it's going to be interesting to see like how Baker handles this, there was a couple comments that came out during it and said Baker was not up, like it kind of insinuated that Baker didn't like Hugh Jackson and like that he might have had something to do with getting him out. Really? Which for a young quarterback, a rookie to have any kind of input like that is kind of a big deal. And I wonder how that plays out in the locker room. Um, but it's, it's gonna be, so, so this is the quote I heard on NFL Network. From what I hear, Baker Mayfield is not going to exactly miss Hugh Jackson. Which, I guess if he's that bad of a coach, then you're like, ooh. So, odds to be the next head coach. Zach Taylor, plus 200. Lincoln Riley at plus 225. John DeFilippo is with the Vikings. He was, of course, with the Eagles helping them to the uh, Super Bowl. Sean McVay on here? What do we think? We're going to hire him away from the Rams? That's going to happen at plus 750. But Lincoln Riley is obviously the name that kind of jumps out to everybody. His name was trending on Twitter yesterday because he was his head coach at Oklahoma. Right. Because NFL teams are going to Lincoln. And they're, or Norman, they're going to Norman, they're going to Lincoln, they are going to Lincoln, they're going to Norman, and they're 
getting instruction from him. They're right. asking him, what are you guys doing that's working so well offensively? They're taking schemes from Lincoln Riley and implementing those in the NFL. Yeah. I think Oklahoma should be nervous. Look, but this is what Lincoln Riley said. Lincoln yeah. Riley said, <laughs> not right now. Uh, for me, Oklahoma is a place I love. I love coaching here. I love college football. I certainly don't have that itch right now. Don't know that I ever w- will. Um, you know how these things happen, blah, blah, blah. So he's come out and said, essentially, I'll never say never, but right now I'm not going to the NFL. So, yeah, Oklahoma, they, you should be nervous. Yep. But he's come out and said what he, he needs to say to the situation. Um, for now, for, look, for not Link- right now. Lincoln Riley, why leave there? Like, well, no, why? Look, right. Not, and not for a job like the Browns. Right. Like, not seriously. Like, look at the well, turnover they've had. It all depends. So this is where I think it's a really interesting night. It all de- de- uh, depends what his makeup is. Some guys think college is the ultimate. Like, I want to be the best head coach I can be, win national championships, and I want to be the next Joe Paterno, Bobby Bowden, or Nick Saban. Yeah. Like, you want to be that. Other guys think, you know what the pinnacle is? It's the NFL. I want to be an NFL coach. And I don't know what Lincoln Riley thinks. If that's his long-term goal, now's the time to jump on it. Because, and if you did have Baker Mayfield, I think that'll also tell you a little bit about Baker Mayfield. If he does believe in him right. and think he's a quarterback that can succeed, maybe he does make that jump. In, in any case, he's going to get a monster payday. Yeah. Like from either Oklahoma's going to have to bump him up and give him another couple years because that's what college colleges do, or the Cleveland Browns might have to back up the truck like they did for John Gruden to entice him out of the booth for Monday Night Football. Yeah, there are a lot of like, factors in yeah. players. They're not as simple as just – but here's what I would say. Baker, like at, he may have all the belief in the world in Baker – but Baker's not the end all be all in Cleveland. Like there's a whole other roster around him. And then you have to deal with what seems to be dysfunction from up top, right? Like yep. they've had 10 head coaches since 2000. Like there's a reason why it's not all on players that you've been so bad for the last three years. It's not, that's right. not all on the players. And so, you know, like when I'm looking at situations like that for your first time head coach, if you're just, if it's a money grab, like, look, I've told you before, I do things for money. Sure. Like, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I'll go to some places for money. Like I-, I wouldn't begrudge you that. I'm just saying if you want to be successful and you're a purist that just wants to coach in the football and be successful there, don't know that that's the situation for you. Right. And I don't know what type of personality he is. Some guys can make a seamless transition. College, pro, no big deal. Right. Other guys like Nick Saban did not because of his coaching style. Like some of that, I rule with an iron fist. It's my way or the highway. That, you know, 18 to 23 year olds are like, yes, sir, coach, where do I have to go? NFL guys look at me like, what? Yeah. Like, like, you didn't tell me what to do. Like, you know, we're all professionals here. It. So it'll, it depends on what type of personality he has too. Yeah. You know, only he can be that judge. For but sure. In any case, we'll see who the Browns go with, uh, before long. We'll see if they can turn their season around too. Cause hopefully Baker Mayfield can keep continuing his progress despite the mess at head coach. Uh, we got to do college football. My top eight. <sighs> Not much change, but yeah, it's the most accurate poll out there. You had, a, you had one, didn't you? A little, you? Bit, yeah, a little right. bit of a mix. We'll get to that next at Off the Bench. All right, before we get to my top eight, because it should be eight teams, that's why, and a playoff, just capping off Lincoln Riley, I want to put a bow on it. But when you're – so here's a decision I think you have to make. When you're at Oklahoma, yep. Coca just told me he's got the number one quarterback from 20, class in 2019, Spencer Rattler, coming to see him. When you're at Oklahoma, you're going to be, you're going to have more talent than the other team, probably 11 out of 12, maybe 12 out of 12 regular season. Yeah. Maybe Texas might be able to go toe to toe in non-conference. Maybe there's 10, but 10 or 11 games, you are going to have the better personnel on the field and it's not even close. When you go to the NFL, it's 16 games and it's going to be, the margin is this close because there's not, the rosters, there are some teams that are bad. 
But most of the rosters are really close, and it's up to you, the coach, to get the most out of your team. Listen, that is a huge difference. You got a cake, you're not cake, but that's yes. a sweet gig. Abs- if you're at one of those premier gigs <laughs> of college football, where you're in the top ten, top fifteen programs, it's already it's rolling. Yep. It's rolling. It's basically running itself to some degree now. Tough Kids want to come. Make it's a yeah. tough decision to make. All right, let's look at my top eight because I put them out. There wasn't a huge change because three out of the top five teams had bye weeks last season, but I did, and we couldn't do it on the graphic. But Bama and Clemson to me have separated themselves to the field. I feel like there's a pretty big gap between them, Notre Dame, Michigan, LSU, UCF, Oklahoma, and Georgia right. coming in the rear of that. I think it's pretty obvious. I don't think I'm making any bold statement there. But I did get some uh, which some pushback from Bama fans who were upset at me saying, well, no, we're, we're still – there's a bigger gap between Alabama and Clemson too. I don't think that's the case at all. Yeah. I don't know why. So we all know about Tua Tagovailoa and what he's meant to the offense. That's been the talk of Alabama this season has been how great their offense look. And they're right. This offense looks unstoppable. But you know what's not up to the standard that Bama has set? Their defense. Yeah. And Clemson's defense is nasty. They have three first rounders on the defensive on the defensive front, on the front seven, you know, four or five guys that are going to get picked in the top two or three rounds. They've got studs all over the field. Listen to these statistics. Every single major Category on the defensive side of the ball, Clemson is better and it's significantly better. Total defense, Clemson's third in the country, Bama's 16th. Pass defense, Clemson's 14th, Bama's 33rd. The reason they're not higher in those two passing categories, both of them, is because they're always so far ahead and teams are chucking it all over in the second half. Rush defense, Clemson's seventh, Bama's 21st. Scoring defense, Clemson's first, Bama is 10th. To me, this is more about Clemson's defense than it is about anything. And, yeah, I'll give the edge to Alabama on offense. But you know what? Since Clemson switched to Trevor Lawrence, a quarterback, they've got the ball rolling, and they're blowing out teams. And last week we talked about, you know, earlier we talked about, I don't even know if we dove into it that much because I didn't want to, but Clemson destroyed Florida State. They destroyed NC State. And that's not so much about those teams being as bad as it is about Clemson getting right at the right time. That's I was just going to say that. I think Bama, so Bama, you start off hot. Yeah. Super hot. There's not a whole lot of room for you to grow during the season. Like, how much better are you really going to be with right. it? Right? And, right. And Clemson started off really good, but still had a lot in front of them when they made the quarterback switch. And Trevor Lawrence kind of adds another dimension to that offense. And so they are they are trending um, towards Alabama. And while Alabama didn't really have much room to grow, if you will, you know, the one team that I think is in your top ten that I do believe – because they can score points and they wouldn't be shy to be in a gun, uh, like a, a gunfight mm-hmm. with Alabama is Oklahoma. Yeah. And I know they have the loss, but they hang up points and they're in a conference where points are, are scored all the time. And when you're dealing with like a Tua, I know that their D isn't as nasty as Clemson's, but you have to have the type of team that can go toe to toe offensively to some degree with them. And I think that they have that. Uh, you are a hundred percent. I would love to see that matchup last year was the matchup that I wanted to see Baker Mayfield versus Alabama. And yeah. We didn't get to see it because they got bounced by Georgia. But I think you're onto something. I think Oklahoma will get back. I don't, see, here's the tough part. It all comes down to Notre Dame. Notre Dame is throwing a wrench in this whole thing yeah. because they don't have a conference championship because they're, you know, they don't, they don't have played a conference. They're independent. Their schedule looks like it should, they should run the table. So they kind of take a spot from one of these conference champions. I think if Oklahoma, Comes back, runs the table, which they probably will. They avenge their loss to Texas in the Big 12 championship game. I think they're in, and I think they could go toe-to-toe. And for all the Bama fans who would be outraged right now to hear that, 
It wasn't like Georgia, who had a really good defense last year, shut them out down last year. They scored, Oklahoma scored 48 points right. against that SEC defense. Now, the same problem would hold true with Bama this year because Georgia dropped 54. Alabama would probably drop 54 on them too. But the question is, could Oklahoma with Kyler Murray, who's playing fantastic, uh, could they go toe-to-toe in a shootout with Tua Tagovailoa in that offense, which I think would be fun. I think it'd be awesome. Be I would block. love to see that play out. Um, we'll have to see if it happens though, if they can get there. Um, the other team I have in there that's the people get really upset about is UCF. UCF, I have them at six. I don't think I would ever put them in the top four. As much as an advocate I am for UCF, yeah. they just their schedule's not the same. It really isn't. And I get UCF fans will come at me and they'll say, well, look at Bama's schedule. It's not, their schedule's not tough. Look at Clemson's schedule. Their schedule's not tough either. There is a difference between the American and the SEC and the ACC. Even the ACC's not very good this year. There's still a difference in the teams you're going to have to play on a weekly basis. Listen, man, I played in, in smaller conferences. I played in UCF's conference when we were all in the uh, Trans-American conference together. Uh, I played in... Uh, America East Conference. I play, I was a small conference player. Um, and one of the biggest challenges for me, like I, when we went out, we were dragon slayers, right? So like we like to go out and try to schedule the big school and we beat them. Like we beat Penn State and we beat Michigan and we beat all of those. Those, those were like one night scenarios. Yeah. Like when I got to the NBA, everybody was, was huge. And like you saw in the SEC or you saw in the Big Ten and playing them every day is a completely different animal than having to line up against them once and get ready for that. And I think that's kind of what gets lost in, in the in the UCF conversation. Right. Sure, they can jump up there and beat Auburn one time. Right. But if you guys see Auburn this week, then you got to see Bama next week. Right. Then you got to go on the road against yeah, Mississippi That's State. different. Right. And that's where – see, that's where I would love for them to get the opportunity in an 18 playoff. Let them see if they can go it on a sure. one-time basis. But I would also – I would put them in a tough spot. Like, they can't go in there and have a cakewalk first game. They're going to be the eighth seed playing the one seed, and then you'll see, all right, good you luck. You wanted it, you got it. Exactly. Exactly. See how it goes for them. The uh, the playoff, the rankings, the college football rankings come out tonight, put out by the, the selection committee. They'll come out with theirs. The surprise to me would be if UCF, I don't think, will be in the top ten. Like, I don't even think they'll be close. The surprise, I don't. I would not be shocked if Bama is not number one. Really? Because of the resume, if they truly looked at the blind, and I look, I'm not saying Bama doesn't deserve it, but the committee has shown before they like to spice things up, do things a little bit differently, show that they're not the AP. Uh, I would not be surprised if they gave Clemson or even Michigan or, or excuse me, Notre Dame. Yeah. Notre Dame's win over Michigan is looking better and better. They, they might be a team. Notre Dame might be a team that could be ahead of Clemson and Bama. Like I, that's the, that's the thing to me would not surprise me at all. Right. If the committee does something really different than the AP and they try to shake things up a little bit, it'll all work itself out, but that would not surprise I me. I guess at all. my thing is like UCF, as much as I just banged on like their conference and, 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 and everything, but like if they're never going to, they're going to be at number 10 with their, right. with what they've done. Why are they playing? Like, right. why don't you make a sub championship they for should. teams like that? That's that the, like, why? The, the solutions are, there are two solutions. You either let them go in and have an 18 playoff with five power five conference champs and three wild cards. One of them would be a group of five. Or you just, instead of lying to them and making them feel like they're going to get an invitation, just tell them, say, you know what? Have a group of five playoff. And then it's basically you're splitting into an, another, splitting into another subdivision, which is fine. But go, like, let them I mean, really play for a championship. I, I just don't understand why you'd have them just hanging around, like, number seven. Right. Winning, 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 but never being able to get in they the won't. door. They it's won't. Ridiculous. It's not fair for them. That's why I hate it so much. All right, let's get over to Hannah for Socially Relevant. The 
The Boston Red Sox are reminding us all that they will not stand for any doubters on Twitter right now. So if you guys remember, the Red Sox opened up the season against the Tampa Bay Rays on March 29th. Well, on that day, they took a 4 nothing lead into the bottom of the eighth, but then they blew it badly, coughing up six runs, losing the game 6-4. to So whoever's writing this Red Sox Twitter decided to put all those original haters in their place. The Sox went back on that exact same day, responding to the negativity. Check this out. Someone tweeted, there goes the typical Red Sox. They responded, oh, hope we can turn it around. Another one said, new manager, same old incompetent decision-making. The Sox said, okay, <laughs> let's keep this going. Fantastic. Jake tweeted, how does it feel to be the least-liked team in Boston by a lot? And then they said, it feels good to be World Series fans. <laughs> the last one is the best one. Matt said, oh, and 162. And the Sox responded by saying, wrong, 108 wins plus a World Series. So, guys, I like to say, I have to say, I like what the Red Sox did here. It reminds me a little bit of Wendy's putting people in their place. Do you think this is too much or are you on board for these kind of responses? <laughs> it's, it's so petty. It's so vindictive. <laughs> and yet I love it. I, love I do it. the yeah. same thing. Like, if people come at me and they're like, oh, I can't believe you picked Florida to beat LSU, I'm saving it and going back and when Florida beats LSU I'm just like I told you so yeah I'm gonna do it too I did think it was of note did you see the time that somebody was going back calling them out 1 30 145 in the morning like, uh, was the kid who was running the social media account was he having a couple I'm like yeah I'm gonna go back and get all these people but good for them for doing it all right speaking of things being saved but not in a good way so over the weekend Wembley Stadium hosted the Eagles win over the Jaguars but that matchup left under four, 28 hours for groundskeepers to get the field ready for some soccer. These results weren't too great. The meeting of Tottenham and Manchester City still had the marks of an NFL game. Soccer fans weren't happy with this one. You can see the NFL logo right there. The paint still in the middle of the field. And to make matters worse, apparently the real problem was that those 60 minutes of NFL action shredded the field. So, Danny, Raja, if you guys were one of these soccer players or even one of these soccer fans at this game, would this football bother you? Yeah, it would. Because, I mean, soccer specifically, it's it's hard to play any sport on a football field that's been torn up for a whole game. Uh, but a, a sport where the ball has to roll true and you get true bounces and, and, and play with your feet off of it, it becomes even more paramount. So, yeah, I'd be super pissed. Uh, I would, too. And they showed the field during the game on Sunday morning, and you could see how torn up it was. I think this shows you the dramatic difference in styles of play, body types, like Between just soccer and where football. Like yeah. you got a little pitter patter, the soft feet, like <laughs> you running around, running around like a little dainty, like, <laughs> and then you got just the hogs out there, just like wow, like just rolling in it. That's the difference right there. But it would frustrate me if that's your field and they totally screwed it up. Like also, you have to worry about ankle. Like there were deep oh, holes no doubt. in the field. Your ankles getting dangerous. turned, like all. And that. we're guests. Yes. Like you know, like it's exactly. not like that's their. Even like you found it. Seriously, they did not. No. <laughs> Pitter patter. It's on the All scheduling right, so department, stay, though. Yeah. Pitter patter. So staying in the NFL, Lions receiver Golden Tate seemed a little confused with some news that was released about him on Monday. NFL's Ian Rappaport tweeted out that the Patriots had an interest in trading for Tate before the NFL's deadline on Tuesday. Tate came back responding, what you talking about, Willis? I will say later on Monday, Tate was asked by reporters whether or not he thought that he might end up getting traded. And he said, quote, I don't think so. I feel like I'm a huge part of this organization, so hopefully that's not the case. But again, I do understand. So Danny and Raja, would you guys be searching your name online when trade deadline time rolled around? No. Yeah, I would. I'd be nervous as all get out and be like, what's going on? I would have been called like, what's my call my agent? Like, what's going on? What, am I going to get traded? Yeah, I don't, I didn't want to know. I didn't, I've, I've told my story about being traded before, like how I found out I was traded. I no, I want to hear it again. I was, I was in LA. I was about to go to the game and I got a call from a buddy of mine who had played in the CBA with me like four or five years earlier. 
And he was like, yo, bro, I think you just got traded. And I was like, what are you talking about, man? I got my bags on. I'm going to the bus. We're going to play Kobe and the Lakers. He's like, yeah, man, I think you just got traded. He's like, I'm really good friends with Jason Richardson's wife. You know, we went to high school together. And I think you guys got traded for each other. <laughs> I was like, what? So I hopped on the phone with my agent. He didn't know. Really? So I, he had to call Steve Kerr. And he called me back like 15 minutes later. Now everybody's in the hallway. Um, and they're, I'm like, dudes, I think I just got traded. Came back that I got traded. Steve Kerr didn't, didn't feel like he needed to let me know. I got out to everybody else. And so I had to say, I said goodbye to all my teammates in the, in the hallway before they went to play the Lakers. Um, and then I had to go back, pack a bag. My wife had just given birth to our second son and I had to run back, pack a bag, give them kisses and report to Charlotte like two, uh, like in 24 hours. See, I get, I get today's social media. I get everybody has sources and they have rumors, but if I was a coach or somebody in the front office, I would try to make sure that the guy heard it from me. Yeah. It's like just probably. a professionalism. I get stuff gets out, but I think that's the least you can do is at least call the dude and let him know before Holy. anybody else does. So that doesn't happen. No doubt. <laughs> All right, guys, that is all for Socially Relevant. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Canel and Bell. Coming up next, Danny and Raja break down today's leftovers. Stay with us. You're watching Off the Bench. All right, let's bring in our fantasy guy, Heath Cummings. You can follow him on Twitter at Heath Cummings Sr. He's our fantasy football today, host of our podcast here at CBS Sports HQ. Make sure you check that out. Let's do our fantasy uh, waiver wire right now. Now, so six bye weeks that's called, what's the name for it? I want to hear you say it. Oh, it's, it's by NATO. It's a oh, lot of teams it. in trouble this week. <laughs> All right, so a lot of teams in trouble. So what do you do there, starting with a running back position with a guy like Frank Gore? Yeah, surprisingly, Frank Gore is still under 60% owned, and he has been the lead running back in Miami. He's not the most talented running back. He's certainly not the most explosive running back, but he should get the most carries. And I do think this is a game, the Dolphins at home against a struggling Jets team. I think they can win this game. I think Gore can get some extra work in the fourth quarter running the clock out. He is a good add in the top 25 running back for this week. Uh, so look, some people are saying that the Panthers are kind of finding that 2015 groove again. How does DJ Moore fit into the equation there? Well, I'll be honest. I'm not excited about Frank Gore. I'm excited about DJ Moore. Finally saw an uptick in those targets. Just had four targets in the first three games of the season. We saw him get up to five. And then last week we saw him actually lead the team with six. 22% of Cam Newton's throws went his way. This week he gets the dream matchup against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They can't cover anyone. DJ Moore is going to be awesome this week. And he's going to be the best Panthers wide receiver over the rest of this season. All right. Good stuff, Heath. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it. Good luck with Bynado. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the Tampa Bay Bucks made an interesting decision yesterday. I don't, I'm, I guess it was some concern, like what are you going to do to go back to Jameis? I thought it was a really easy decision yep. for Dirk Cutter. I mean, you saw what Jameis did—the four interceptions on the field. His career has been all over the place. If Ryan Fitzpatrick tore it up either this season. He came back, almost brought him to a win, although Andy Dalton kind of screwed up that whole scenario. He says, "I'm going to go with Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's going to start." For the foreseeable future. Yep. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. I, look, I don't think Ryan Fitzpatrick, I don't know that anyone thinks Ryan Fitzpatrick is the answer there long term. Uh, but everyone has the same questions about Jameis. And what answered some of those questions for me was when Ryan Fitzpatrick came in, got him back to what was it, a tie? Mm-hmm. The pure like joy and celebration that his teammates were having with him, the way that they seemed to like embrace Ryan Fitzpatrick. And it was, it was kind of, reaffirming what you saw earlier in the season when you were like, man, the team really rallies around this guy. I don't see the same type of buy-in from teammates with Jameis. And I don't know Jameis. Like, yeah. I, you know, I know he's had his off-field stuff. Um, you know, decision-making, probably an issue at times with him. I, I think that he wants to lead. He wants to do the right things. But people respond to, like, genuine stuff. 
and there's a reason why they're not responding to Jameis, and they're responding to Ryan, and so I got no problem with Dirk Cutter going with Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think this shows more than anything in the NFL, guys respond to production. Yeah. Like, they really do. You can be anybody you want, and I think there is something about leadership styles. I think both Ryan Fitzpatrick and uh, Jameis are good leaders, good locker room guys. I guarantee all the guys like both of them, but the bottom line is, Who's the guy that's going to give us the best chance to win? That's, Who's going to get the ball down the field? And I think that's why you saw guys rally, rally around Ryan Spitz. I don't think it's a a bad thing for Jameis Winston. It looks like they're having fun with fun with Ryan Fitzpatrick. No. I don't think that says it. I think some people might read into that and be like, oh, well, what's his problem in the locker room? I think his problem is on the field that he still throws too many interceptions. Yeah, correct. Like, But here, here's the interesting part. Like, You could like Jameis, if you're right. on that team, right. Ryan still gives us the best chance to win. It's a weird situation to be in, but it, it could be. I watch Jameis sometimes, and I watch the press conferences, and there's something about him that doesn't feel genuine. Like, really, there's something about him that feels like it's a performance. Like, and guys guys sift through that pretty quick. All you know what time. I mean? Like, you can, especially when you're around a guy that much. And so this is purely speculation, but I, I do think – that there's there's people that have read through that like it's the same press conference all the time right it's the same it's the same yeah it's squarely on me like do something about it then right like you know what i mean like don't change. talk about it be about it and i think there's a level of fakeness to that yeah i think so i think you might be onto something it was interesting deshaun jackson actually floated a rumor said he wanted out wanted to be traded from tampa bay that's never a good thing but these nfl guys think they're in the nba like they have no Stop. power to force a trade yeah. they're out there thinking they can make moves out there Golden Tate, I will say he tweeted back and said, hey, I'm not going anywhere. Matt Patricia was with Bill Belichick. They have a good relationship. It would not surprise me at all if Golden Tate has moved because the Patriots do, as we just oh. talked about earlier. They need a receiver. Like Golden Tate, I'd be like, yes, right. I would for sure not be out there tweeting about it either. You know who's playing well talking about trying to force trade? Jimmy Butler, man. Yeah. Five threes in the fourth quarter. Like I got to give him some credit because – it was a bad look early when he was forcing it, but he's been a pro about it. He's in there. He's balling. His teammates have been pros, too. Good for them. Yeah. Still probably gets moved. but Right. Have to respect that, though. Yeah.